Hello, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you're having a great week. I love networking, and I've been doing a lot of it on LinkedIn since the pandemic started, and I've met some really fantastic people. And that's how I met my guest, Howard Shore. Howard is the founder and CEO of Activate Group, which is a firm that helps CEOs and leaders develop their skill sets as a coaching company, a business strategy and growth company. They do all kinds of things to be able to accelerate growth for help CEOs uh, accelerate their growth. So I had read a lot of his content and we connected and decided to set up a call. And after 30 minutes of speaking with him, I knew that he had to come on the show and he agreed, which I'm really grateful for. In addition to being the CEO of Activate Group, Howard is a best-selling author. He has written two books, Your Business is a Leaky Bucket and The Leader Launchpad, which I just finished, and it's fantastic. It's full of all kinds of good advice. He is a sought-after business mentor, executive coach, and keynote speaker. He has owned and sold several of his own companies. He's worked for numerous top Fortune 500 companies. He's done all kinds of amazing things. So he has quite the background and quite the experience, which makes him a great partner for CEOs. His clients vary from private family-owned businesses with $5 million in gross revenue, gross annual revenue, to publicly traded international corporations with over a billion in yearly gross revenue. He's got a 30-year track record of success, and he helps businesses put in methods and systems that help them become more profitable, stable, and scalable, which we talk quite a bit about in this episode. So with that, I am going to introduce you to Howard. So hang tight and I'll be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back. Howard, I'm so excited to have you on my show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's uh, let's jump into you and learn a little bit about what you do and who you are. Can you give us uh, a bit of background? about yourself. All right. So I, I think, you know, everybody should know why I do this and, and, and probably why I'm here. So just like every other entrepreneur, I probably made every mistake uh, that I know of, and uh, I will probably make more. And, you know, all the way throughout my history, uh, even from early childhood, you know, I had challenges just like everybody else. I had dyslexia, I had ADD, um, I had Coke bottle glasses, and I had sleep apnea. So they, uh, even in my early uh, school years, tried to put me in a special education. And, and it took uh, my mom advocating for me, knowing what I was capable of, to make sure I didn't go down that track. And had I gone down that track, uh, God knows where I'd be today. So, uh, but it was those experiences and my mom always challenging me. I was never a great student till college, uh, always helping me see that I could do more, challenging me to be greater, uh, challenging me to help other people see, you know, my potential. And, you know, when I fast forward and uh, anybody who looks at my resume, they're going to see on my first business when I was 18, I sold it when I was 21, I got all these degrees, worked in three Fortune 500 companies, and yet, you know, that's all on paper, right? So, uh, you know, paper looks great and credentials look great, but man, the, the, the 
cover and inside the book, boy, what a difference. So, you know, I learned through all of that experience that there had to be a better way to be a, a leader. There had to be uh, a faster way to get you know, success. And, you know, when I look back, I think the only reason I was successful in the early days is I worked three times harder than everybody else. And, uh, and, and then I'd look around and I'd see other people that actually would work like a third and, and get more done. And I'm like, I, I want to be like those people. So, and, and that kind of led me down this path. And, you know, so I'm really proud to say I now do for, for leaders, what my mom did for me. And I, I help them see not only their potential, but the potential in their people. And then I work really hard to help them unlock really what's a huge potential already sitting right in front of them. So how was the transition from, you know, running these multi-billion dollar companies to, you know, starting a, a coaching and consulting company? Was it a big jump? And how did you do that? So it wasn't completely because after I left the billion dollar companies, I helped uh, turn around my dad's business. He was going bankrupt for the third time and uh, helped him avoid that and come up with an exit strategy. And then I did work in a, you know, a mid-market company that I helped turn around before I went out and I did this. And it was because all those experiences, you know, I, 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 I needed to get started. But like starting any business, what I'm doing today and what I did when I first started 16 years ago is different, right? We come up with an idea in our head and then we go out, we test the market, see what's going on. And so I still ran into, you know, similar trials and tribulations. But since 2004, I've been involved in um, owning and founding six companies besides Activate Group. Um, actually make that eight companies. So. I've been through a lot of different journeys along the way. I'm not just a coach and Activate Group is a firm, uh, but figuring all that out, I don't know that my journey was severely different than everybody else's, except I use our methodology. And so being a serial entrepreneur that you are, what has been the most profound lesson uh, that you've learned? And do you share that in your latest book? I do. So you know, it took me a long time to, to realize that uh, we needed to bring out the genius of everybody else. I kind of knew that. I knew we had to get more out of other people. But, you know, I was like a lot of other, you know, knucklehead leaders. I felt I was the brain and I felt like, you know, I really had to drive everybody forward. And then I realized later on in life that really the secret to success, the secret to freedom as a CEO, the secret to getting a lot more success was everybody else around me, whether they were vendors, employees, uh, contractors, the more I can unlock their potential, my job got so much easier. So I had to flip that around and learn how to do that. Yeah, I think that's a hard thing for a lot of leaders to learn when you're so used to just working hard, especially when you work three times as hard as anybody else. And and you're putting in all that work and then you know you stop to realize to say, wow, I'm far more successful when the people around me are successful and really letting your team shine rather than you know you be the star. Uh, I think that's, that's a, a lesson that we all have to learn. I, I certainly have learned it along the way. Uh, I think that this pandemic has, has um, helped that process within Stone Age. Uh, you know, I've been, I started with this company when I was just, you know, I call myself a baby, but it wasn't, you know, 28 years old. Uh, and I, and I part of the, the growth really being the face of the company. And now my team is really stepping up and being the face of their team. And we are so much stronger um, of an organization because of it. 
but it's a little nerve wracking to go through that process. I'm like, okay, you know, how do I just really take a back seat? Do you work with your clients on, on those types of activities and, and growing a team and, and, and how to pick the very best of the best to accelerate growth? So just to be fully transparent, I also have coaches I've hired to help me because I'm still a work in process. And anybody who doesn't think they're still a working process is in trouble. Uh, so yes, we do. Uh, you know, and to me, you know, there, there, there are a lot of big things that we have to think about when we're trying to tap into the potential. And by the way, one of my favorite books on the topic is Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Great, great book. And, uh, and actually, I was just rereading it re recently. And so so, you know, a couple of things that I had to figure out that I didn't know that I challenge everybody we work with is, you know, your people can learn just as much as you do and stop judging them because they made a wrong move or a wrong mistake. They're all capable of so much more unless you get the help, you, you get in their way. Yeah, I agree. And I love your brutal honesty in, uh, in some of the interviews that you've done about, you know, you being a terrible leader, I think is actually what you called yourself. <laughs> so what made you terrible and how did you go through that process yourself? Well, so I'll share with you kind of an early story. So that I had that business when I was 18. And uh, and so my company was uh, typesetting graphic design. I grew up in the printing industry, uh, but I knew nothing about typesetting. And I not don't have a graphic bone in my body so i had to hire people that could do that and uh, i'll never forget it. so i had a group of artists and you know managing artists are very different than managing hard driven a type personalities they're very sensitive they're very creative i still remember barbie she used to come in and she used to wear different color shoes her hair was always different colors even back then in the early 80s her clothes sometimes didn't match it was awesome right and I can still remember making some of these artists cry because I was so brutally honest. And I was like, you know, that work sucks, you know, and we can't give that to a client. You just can't say that, right? Um, there was a better ways for me to deliver this stuff. And then they would cry and then I'm like, oh my God, what, what's going on here? Because, um, you know, back at that age, you know, I just, I'm just like, I'm just telling you what we need to know. And it just doesn't work that way. And, and so, because of moments like that, because I was so brutally direct and didn't learn diplomacy until later, I left a lot of dead bodies. And by the way, I still do every once in a while. I have a, I have a Howard flashback, but for the most part, I've, I've worked through that with my coaches. Uh, people have coached me because I realized that um, I could deliver the same thing in the right way and, and, and still keep people's self-esteem up. And I just didn't do that. And then the other thing is, is I took a ton of pride in, you know, how smart I thought I was and everything that I got done. And that, you know, always trying to one up one of your employees or show them you could do it better. Boy, that was a train wreck. <laughs> so I can give you lots of stories. I wish I didn't have all those stories. <laughs> oh, well, I think all of us can resonate with that. I'm pretty sure that we've all had a carnage behind us and, uh, and maybe not our best moments. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so some of them I'm not very proud of. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But you know, it's really great that you can talk about it and and be uh, you know honest and vulnerable about it because we all have to learn how to be leaders none of us I think are just know all the time you know exactly what we need to do and uh, I certainly have carnage uh, behind uh, left behind me too 
so I can relate to, to your story. Did anybody ever quit because you made them cry? No, um, that's the strange part. I think most people knew my intentions were good. My heart was always in the right place. Um, I was just a little bit too passionate. Um, do, do I think um, I got half out of a lot of people? The answer is yes. Do I think a whole bunch of them were not telling their friends and colleagues to come work for me? Um, yes. And, uh, and hopefully that's improved over time. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm sure it has. Otherwise, people wouldn't be hiring you to help them. And people wouldn't be hiring you to help them if you didn't know the mistakes because you made them firsthand yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, like I said, I've been, you know, when I sit down and I tell somebody I've been there, I've been there. <laughs> All right. So with that kind of introspection um, and working with so many types of leaders, what do you think the most important attribute or attributes leaders need to exhibit to be successful, especially in the craziness of today's uncertainty and volatility? So it's hard to pick one attribute, right? We're, we, it, it's usually a combination of things. I even look at a business as an ecosystem. So I look at us as, you know, there's all these different pieces. And if we're really good at one, but we really suck at another one, it still diminishes the, the, the good attribute. Uh, one of the ones I think they get in uh, most leaders way and m most are not fully aware of it is humility. So to me, the ego is our enemy and that ego that got us to start businesses, that ego that caused us to, to have the courage to do something that if we saw on paper in hindsight, what we were going to have to go through, we probably wouldn't do, I think was important in the early days. But that same ego is what destroys us kind of going forward uh, when we should be listening a lot more. And so for me, uh, the way in which I think you demonstrate that you don't have too big an ego, and by the way, we all have a little bit of ego, let's be honest, um, is how well you demonstrate true, true curiosity in, in everybody else's ideas and how often you're actually you know, singing the praises of everybody else rather than trying to pat yourself on the back. And, and I could say that that is probably the number one leader killer I see out there is uh, a lot of lip service to that, but, but not doing that. And then the other thing I think that's super, super important is uh, being impact oriented rather than, you know, how much money am I going to make and all of that. So when you worry a lot about what is the impact you're going to have on society? What is the impact you're going to have on your employees? What is the impact that you're going to have on the customer in the world? You tend to do much bigger things and you tend to take right action when you're more worried about the right impact rather than how much money you make. I love that. I'm such a, a believer in impact and and want my fellow CEOs so much to carry that passion because we can make such a big impact impact and we have such a huge platform um, as business leaders and executives and we can use it for good if we choose to, but we have to have that impact mindset. I, I totally appreciate that. Back to the humility piece. So working with with executives who have big egos. How do you approach that? How do you hold that mirror up to them and help them realize that their ego is getting in the way of their success? We start all the way from the first day I meet you. So most people will tell you that there's no, you know, there's no surprise that uh, we're gonna be, we're not there to be everybody's buddy. Um, we're there to help people 
tap into the, their, the, the, the true them. And you know, many of us have this persona. And so from the very early on, we, we ask questions that we know most people aren't willing to ask and you watch how people respond. And, um, and I even have like, I have a brand new client and we've already done a couple calls before we're gonna get together in their first meeting. And I've already told them that if he comes to one more meeting without any questions, and concerns, um, you have a humility problem. That's exactly what I told them. I said, you, you just, you're too busy proving to me you know everything. You're too busy proving how, um, how great you already are. And we know I'm here because you know you have more potential. So start demonstrating it. And yeah. he took back and, you know, so you kind of raise stuff like that. And, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, you first have to make people comfortable. Um, and, and you have to, you know, be able to make sure that they know it's safe. And usually once it's safe, you can have some pretty tough conversations, uh, not in front of usually their colleagues, but Hey, do you realize you just, you know, 10 people just fell over after you spoke? Um, you know, so you raise and you hold up in the mirror and, and you see how they respond. But I will say about 75% of, uh, the CEOs that approach us, we pass and a big part is either the ego is um, is non-existent, and and that's also not going to work, or it's too high. You know, you know. So when you find that person that's super self-defecating, you know, um, and and attacking themselves, and and very low self-esteem, there may be a bigger danger there than the one with the big ego, because at least they know that with the bigger ego, they're like they already know that they think they're a know-it-all. But we try to avoid both extremes, and and you can kind of figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you seen that article by Adam Grant about humble narcissism? I haven't seen that one, but I'm a big fan of Adam. So I, okay. it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise uh, me. So I'm, I'm going to make a I'll note of that. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like it. I mean, narcissism is, I think, a tough word to, you know, it's a trigger word for many of us. Um, but if, you know, a lot of leaders, if you, you know, truly are honest with yourself, there's threads of, um, of, of that. You, you're not necessarily willing to put yourself out there if you, you know, don't have a lot of self-confidence in many cases. And I love this article because he talks about this, this blend. And I, I think he titled it Humble Narcissism to, you know, get people to read it. Uh, but it really does talk about the, the blend between, um, you know, risk-taking and self-confidence and, and going for it and believing and being passionate about your path and also knowing that, you know, you make mistakes and being able to admit those mistakes and be able to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you uh, in some areas or who have different talents than you and to still have that learner's mindset. And this article really resonated with me because I think if a lot of leaders approached it that way with this whole idea of, I can be a leader, I can be a successful leader and that's okay, I can be a self-confident leader and all of that's okay. But I have to have this balance of humility and a learner's mindset. And, uh, and I thought that he articulated it really well. And, um, and I like that idea of, you know, whether it's humble narcissism or humble self-confidence uh, is the word that I prefer to use. <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's, a, good, it's a, a good blend for leaders to, to, to strive for. Well, well, there's a few cues I can share with the folks that are, are listening to this. Uh, we've had a number of folks we've worked with over the years. And when you start hearing 
well, there's only a few of us in the company that can make decisions like this. There's only a few of us in the company that understand this. Um, everybody in the field, they're not going to do anything unless I tell them what to do. And I have to tell them exactly how to do it. These tops of uh, comments uh, is a strong indication you've got an ego problem. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> now you just have to be listening to yourself enough to, uh, to pick up on it. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. All right, let's talk a little bit about your book. Uh, so I love the Leader Launchpad. I've uh, just finished it about two days ago. Uh, and I am definitely curious about your thoughts on uh, the different types of CEOs. So that really resonated with me uh, and I'm trying to do an honest assessment of which of the four types I am. So can you explain why it's important for CEOs to understand that about themselves and how they should strive for balance within them? Well, what's interesting is as many times it's hard for you personally to have the balance and you need a team that balances you out and you have to have enough you know, mindfulness to listen to the rest of the team, because we all have a, um, we'll say an orientation. And so we, a lot of people listening to this have probably learned a little bit about behavioral styles and some of that influences this, but, you know, I grew up in a sales oriented family. So, you know, pretty much, I think since I was born, I've been a heat seeking missile for money. Uh, it just, it's in my bones. Sometimes I have to pull myself back because I just see money everywhere. And for those of us that are like that, we think everybody else is that way and it's not true. And when you're, when you're thinking about, let's just take that alone. Well, what's wrong with this growth and wanting more and more growth? There's a lot of bad growth out there. There's a lot of bad clients. Uh, there's a lot of business that if you take it will actually hurt your reputation. Uh, if you take too much growth and you haven't built out your operations, you're, you're actually going to stumble and that will affect your growth in the future. So there's a lot of bad bad behaviors when you're you're primarily just growth oriented and, and many of us don't always see that in ourselves and then go on the other side so i see a lot of ceos are just growth oriented and they're and they're chasing money but then you go on the other side and i meet a lot of organizations that they are very operational oriented and so you'd say well what's wrong with that we're delivering perfect products perfect services we're perfectionists well the problem with those people is they're so busy working on the product, working on the service, you don't find them growing very quickly. They're actually, it's almost accidental growth. They actually don't like the marketing side of the business. They don't like the sales part of the business. They don't respect those people. Those people frustrate them. And so now you're looking through that lens. And so the negative part of that is you start building things onto your products and services because you love them, but the market, particularly the core customer on, could care less. And so now all you're doing is adding complexity and cost to your business. That's going to not yield any extra growth or a happier customer. You're just happier. And so you've got to balance those things out. So, you know, one of the things that I, I learned uh, later in, in life was I wanted to start thinking about how can I be waste oriented? And, and so with this waste orientation, we are now looking and saying, listen, there's waste. I just gave you examples of waste on both sides. 
So now I want to build a business with waste in mind. I want to grow with the right customers. I want to make sure that I'm delivering you know, exactly what those customers want. I want to make sure that if I plan to grow 100% next year, that I had a plan to build up operations to support 100% growth next year. And you start looking for waste all over the place and how do we go? And, and then what will happen is, is you'll probably grow faster and with greater ease because you remove the waste in the organization. So these mindsets, uh, so a waste orientation really does balance the benefits of both, but recognizes that there, there is, is, there's a challenge. Yeah, I, I really like that. It resonated with me. I am a growth CEO with a little bit of the, uh, what is it? Um, uh, aim, fire, what, what is that one? Fire ready aim, Fire-y. that's me. Yeah, right, fire ready aim, right? <laughs> I've, I've been known to have a little bit of that of like, oh, that's a good idea, let's do it. Um, no plan, that's fine, we'll be great. Uh, but, uh, and I'm less of that as I've matured in my leadership style, but the the blending the growth um, mindset with the, you know, looking for waste mindset is, is absolutely the journey that I've been on as I've been maturing as a leader myself. Uh, and asking those right kinds of questions so that you can grow profitably, um, add the right products to the market, and mostly, most importantly, make sure that your employees are happy while they're doing that. Um, I work really hard to try not to, you know, to burn my employees out, even though we have the pedal to the metal much of the time. So it really resonated with me to blend the, the, the growth and the, the waste um, styles together to, to, to build a really effective company. So there's one more thought that I had as you were talking. So what I see in a lot of organizations, if the CEO is growth oriented or, or the, the CEO is operational oriented, which by the way, majority of the time, they're usually in one camp or the other and you don't see a balanced out team. And, and the issue I wanted to raise is usually you like to hire people that you feel are more like you. And if they're those other people that you feel like are slowing everything down and and getting into too much detail and that kind of stuff, you'll shun and actually be frustrated by those people. But you need those people, and 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 so that's the other part of this. Be you have to be aware of your orientation to make sure you are building enough of the team around you to 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 round it out. Yep, I completely agree with you. Uh, and that's um, the challenge of every leader and something that's so important. I, I learned that a long time ago uh, when I had the pedal to the metal and my controller at the time, who's since retired with the company, been with us for almost 30 years, was like, no, we're going to slow down a little bit. And I always really, I, I got frustrated, but then I learned to really, really, really appreciate her because she stopped me from making some mistakes, some stupid mistakes, because I didn't take enough time to do the analysis. And so um, it is so important to have that balance. Uh, you don't always have to find it within yourself, but finding it amongst your team, building a team to do that. I think it's a great point. Cool. Uh, in your book, you also talk about, I like this too, playing, win, to, playing to win versus uh, playing not to lose. Uh, I, that completely resonates with me because I play to win. But sometimes when something bad happens or you start to lose market share or you know, you're not growing as fast as you thought you would in a particular product line, you start playing not to lose. And so um, I'd like you to maybe describe the difference uh, from your perspective and how can CEOs make that shift from, I'm not gonna lose to I am going to win. So there's a couple of things, very few people that I've ever met in life play to win always. 
And I'm going to say that's a unicorn because we all have those moments. We've all had those bad experiences and baggage that we carry along the way. Uh, so to, to kind of share this analogy with people, I've coached basketball as well as, you know, done the business thing. And, and, the, and the same things, uh, I think, show up. So if you're, you're coaching a team of any sort, you can tell the difference of, and by the way, it can't just be you always playing to win. You have to create an organization that's playing to win. And you have to be careful that we don't use language that actually would retard that. So when I've been around people that are playing to win, you can t it gets testy. Everyone is holding each other accountable. They're holding each other self accountable. People can't stand when they personally did something wrong more than they have a problem when other people don't do it, but they're pushing each other, challenging each other. You can just, you can feel it in the room. And it's just always there. There's an intensity that's different between those organizations and the organization where the majority of people are playing not to lose. What you find on the playing not to lose is they'll, 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 they'll say, well, I'm being realistic or I am, um, I'm, I, you know, we made a few mistakes. We don't want to do that. But what you really find, and you see this in a lot of entrepreneurs, man, we did a ton of work to get to where we are. And now, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, this is good. So that, that enemy of good being versus great causes you to pull back and you don't even realize you're pulling back. So investments you would have done in the early years, all of a sudden you're like, nah, I don't need to make that investment. Or, you know, I'll give a true example. So I remember when I owned my first business and uh, I want to say I was 19 now. And I used to go out and I did, you know, a lot of the sales calls. And I remember I wanted to get an advertising agency as a client. So I get to this advertising agency. I make my, my I go to the front desk. I ask to see the art director because that's who our target person was in the company. And of course, the person said, uh, not available. So most people would put their towel between their eggs and, and just kind of move on. Well, first of all, by the way, I showed up. I didn't pick up the phone. I actually went there because I wanted that account. So I said, uh, that's okay, I'll wait. And I sat down in the lobby and I actually waited all day. So now the person at the desk is like, you know, he's sitting here, I don't know what to do with him. Well, I did this for um, two weeks straight. So after the first day, I realized this wasn't going to be easy. So I started showing up with a lunchbox. And, you know, as the days would go on, I started meeting everybody in the building because they'd come through the front. And they're like, who are you? We see you here every day. I'm talking to them, hanging out. And so finally, she's uh, the girl at the desk is like, he's not going to go away. So the art director comes stomping out. He's all pissed off. And, you know, what is it with you? Are, are, are you crazy? Uh, what is it going to, how am I going to get you out of my building? And I said, well, first of all, I'm not crazy. Um, I'm aggressive. I'm determined. I'm a lot of words, but I'm not crazy. And if you want to get me out of the building, you just have to give me some work and uh, take it with me. And, and then I'll, I'll stay out of the building. I'll send my people. And he looked at me, says, well, that's not going to happen. I said, all right, if you want to get me to leave, take me in the back, give me 15 minutes and explain to me really why we can't work together. And uh, that day I walked out with an order. And I will tell you, as much as I love to tell everybody on this, that I still play to win, that I'm still aggressive. Howard, I don't do that anymore. You would never catch me doing that anymore. Um, I, my, my, maybe my ego's now in the way, but my hunger that I had at that moment, at that time, I've stopped I, I, I've been called out recently that I need to get that hunger back, 
right? And we just don't realize it. So sometimes we just get tired and we don't even realize that we're acting tired. And the problem is, is when you're in the marketplace, you're competing against somebody else that's just getting going. And they are playing 100% to win. They're gonna take risks you're not willing to take and they're gonna take your customers. I love that. That's such a fantastic story and so true. And if that doesn't keep you motivated to, to keep you know pushing yourself to think with a winner's mindset, I don't know what will. But you know, you're right, we all face it. Like I woke up this morning, I was like, oh gosh, you know, I really just don't want to do this. I'm tired. There's no end inside. I need a vacation. I don't know when I'm gonna be able to take one. But you know what? That is not going to make me win. And so it's like put on your game face and you figure it out. But when you think about it that way, like, oh gosh, all my competitors are out there. What if they're waking up today and they're super motivated? They just want a big order. Like that's, oh, that's enough to be like, okay, quit feeling sorry for yourself and get out there and play. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, uh, th there is a third dimension here that, that you didn't mention. And it's, it's, it's playing as if you don't believe you can win. So you believe the bigger yeah. companies just have too much advantage over you. You yeah. believe there's no way you can come up with differentiation. So you're not only not playing not to lose, you've actually created a, a, a disease in your organization that you can't win. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Really good point. All right. I want to shift gears a little bit um, to talk about something else that I love, uh, which is the business model canvas. Um, I see you write about this in your book as well. And the reason why I love it is that it, we did this exercise and made a major shift in how we thought about our distributors and our customers. And, and we did a map for distributors. We did a map for customers and it was eye-opening to uh, to my team and me, and we made a major shift in our strategy after doing that. So I would love for you to describe what the business model canvas is and um, and how do you use it in your business? Awesome. So, so there's two things. So I use a market map first, and we just map the market. Business model canvas adds, adds a few extra dimensions, but whether you're using our market map or using business model canvas, which is usually a second stage work we do, what I want everybody to think about as, as they're listening to this is the marketplace is an arena. And what you need to do uh, when you're running a business is you actually want to sit in the nosebleed seats. You want to be all the way in the top so you can see everything going on and seeing how commerce is happening in your market space. And the problem I have with most leaders is they're too internally focused. And the, the market map and the business model canvas are really designed to be externally focused to get you to Think about how is what is the competitive landscape out there? What are the different options that your potential customers have to choose from? What are the major competitors in this market? How do they go to market? How do they get customers? Uh, what core customer segments do they own? Which core customer segments does no one own? Which channels does no one own? Which partners can you use? When you start thinking about all of this, what you want to make sure is, first of all, you have a very good solid understanding of what the marketplace is and too many of you listening to this don't. And so you're making decisions, you're making strategic decisions uh, based on just what you want to do. 
And that usually is going to cost you a lot of growth and profit. So I use the market map and the business model canvas. First of all, I want to see where my company is at this point in time. I want to see where my competitors are, and I want to do that. Then what I use is I like to use overlays. So, uh, for example, with a company not too long ago, uh, we sat down and said, all right, who are the three or four companies that you would want to buy you? And then we started talking in the room, why would that happen? And how does your market map need to change and your positioning in the market for them to want to buy you? And so there were three competitors in the market that they said, man, it would be great if they paid us, um, we would get major dollars, you know, major multiple, the top multiple. And, uh, and sure enough, two years later, they got bought by one of those companies. They positioned themselves just in a way so they captured a sweet spot that that company was missing and they had capabilities that they were missing and by bringing them together uh the parts actually were were um not as big as what they were when they combined they they the company took off after they merged that's a great example and i'm curious why you think most CEOs and you know executive teams don't really understand their market. They don't really understand their position or their customers. And this is what's crazy because you're out there and you're serving customers. But I can tell you, we do another. Uh, we use another tool. It's called um, the Attribute Framework. And so one of the things we try to do is we try to get our, our 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 customers to lay out the different attributes that make up the market, and then how would they rate themselves on each one of those attributes and how they rate their customers, competitors. And every time we get to the competitors, uh, they're wild ass guesses. And they're actually saying, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they approach this in the market. I don't know how they do that. And I'm like, so you basically only know they're a competitor and they get some customers that you want, but you have no idea why. Well, so now you're making all kinds of, you're adding features and benefits to your products and services without any understanding of how that lays out. And for us as statisticians, uh, and, and, and I'm gonna just say this, most companies confuse operational effectiveness with strategy. Operational effectiveness is necessary and I don't wanna downplay it, but it's basically saying, listen, we're gonna do the same things as everybody else better. But strategy is we are going to do the same things differently or we're going to do different things. And a combination of those activities creates a unique mix of value. And I can tell you it's, it's rare. I'm going to say less than 20% of companies have a true strategy that we meet. And I'm talking all the way up to, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And then of the 20% that have a strategy, I'm going to say probably maybe only 20% of them really have a unique and valuable position in the market. Yeah. Gosh, that's depressing. <laughs> it's opportunity, right? I know. I hear so, you. I so hear so you. think about it. A lot of those companies are making money and they've grown to a point yeah. they're stalling. And that's why they're stalling or they're finding incrementally now to add more business. It seems like it's taking, you know, five to 10 times the effort now to add incremental business. And it's because you're not well positioned. So it's easy to grow to a certain point without a good strategy and you can make a good living. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to diminish anybody who doesn't have one, but if you want to go and you want to be a Goliath, if you want to be and get those $500 million valuations and so forth, you need strategy. Yep, couldn't agree with you more. All right, so how do you apply that to people who or companies who know that they need to make a business model shift or make a pivot, especially 
due to, you know, things like the pandemic has brought about, um, you know, how do they start taking a look at their, an honest look at their business to say, what we did in 2019 is not going to work for 2021. That's a great question. So you know, a big part of my background was strategy. I was head of strategy of a $5 billion company. I was in charge of strategic initiatives in a $20 billion company. And one thing I can share with everybody is strategy does not happen in one meeting. You don't just get in a room and say, this is my new strategy um, and this is going to work. It's, it's, a, it's a marination process. We're, we're constantly iterating and iterating. And even the business model canvas, the first one sucks. And then you're just constantly working on just that one tool. Now, what I want everybody to think about is, you know, you go to the ophthalmologist, right? And they have this thing called a refraction device. And so they flip the lenses around and they're like, uh, do you see anything now? What if I twist it? What does this look like now? And, and they're, they're having us look at things at different distances, different angles. And then all of a sudden you flip something around and it's like, wow, that's what I never saw those letters and numbers before. I didn't even think I could see something that small. And, but strategy is like this. It's, it's constantly going through different sets of tools, different lenses, different distances, asking the same questions in different ways to get you to see the market differently and your position in it. Eventually you'll iterate and then something will start working and then you've got to figure out, okay, so what part of that iteration all of a sudden caused us to blast off? Um, because sometimes we do things and we don't even know why they worked. And so I find we use quite a bit, a number of tools like the business model canvas. We have an initial 12 step process um, that we sequentially take them through internal and external lenses to understand the position. Then we make decisions, we go out and we test it. How does the market respond? If it's good, we come back, we, we double down. If we go out in the market, nothing changed. We don't do insanity. We don't do the same thing over and over again. We say, all right, that didn't work. Why? What part of this can we shift? Just one degree or two degrees. Go back on the market, you test it again. So it's a constant iteration process. And, and what happens if you need to move fast? You know, today you have many businesses who are trying to figure out, am I going to stay in business next month, next year? How do you do that when time is of the essence uh, for so many companies right now? Well, you can only speed up so much of the process and you're going to have to go through the iterations. But from the, the very beginning, and, and we've got a client right now that needs to shift, um, they're, they're highly dependent on the airlines today. So that's not an industry I want to be dependent on. They're, they're at 80% uh, decline in revenue uh, year over year. And so they we're not going to wait around for that to happen. So we're already moving. We've we're choosing new segments, uh, but we're also understanding as we're choosing new segments, why will they buy from them? So there are certain moves you can make pretty quickly and not have to, and by the way, you'll never cross the T's and dot the I's. Anybody who waits around for that, I like to fail forward. I like to make assumptions. And by the way, business is about assumptions. We make assumptions and then we go figure out whether the, our assumptions were true or they were just wild ass guesses and we're just totally wrong. And so some of this is science and some of this is gut. And we're constantly running and iterating and moving. We're just going to do it faster because most of the time you go into business, you've already got, you already have what I like to refer to as inside advantage. What we need to discover is what really is that inside advantage? You know, I would, 
I would break up the client base. And we've done this with a number of customers. And we're like, so which ones would you like a thousand more customers? And which ones would you just poke your eyeballs out if you had more of? Um, which ones do you make the most money off of? And which ones don't? You start asking questions why. And all of a sudden, you start seeing the market differently. And then you're like, we're trying to talk to way too many people. And particularly, the biggest mistake everybody can make if they're struggling right now is to just start spraying and praying to try to get customers anywhere and, and, and everywhere. Actually, a lot of times narrowing down and saying, listen, we really want this segment of the market. We want to own this segment of the market. You'll actually grow faster because you'll very be very, very specific in what you're going to offer that market. Uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, in the book is a fellow entrepreneur. He sold his business in 2018 for $500 million. And when I asked Ron and Tevi, the name of his company's eBuilder, what was the number one thing that got you to this $500 million exit? And he says it was hyper-focused on segmentation, Howard. Yeah. And uh, he picked one segment. It was the hospital, the hotel, no, um, I'm sorry, the hospital uh, industry. And then they even narrowed it down further. This was all the way in the beginning. They identified 800 hospitals that would be their ideal clients. And when he sold, he had acquired 130 of those and it was worth 500 million. Yeah, that's it's such great advice. I'm going through the very same exercise. Uh, my company was, um, we were very niche in making the tools that go at the end of the hose and we never got into the pumps and all of the other things that are part of a, you know, industrial cleaning, high pressure water jetting um, operation. And, but we made a tool for every application. And now we're moving into robotics and IoT enabled products and, and software. And we can't do that across every application. So, you know, it's really interesting while we were niche in a specific type of product um, across a broad range of applications. Now we're picking a specific application and saying, how do we, how do we really advance, you know, our entire portfolio along that and forgetting some of the other stuff that has been, you know, from an application standpoint, our bread and butter in the, in the past. And I will tell you, it is very difficult process to have people let go of this when you're really focusing in on, on segmentations. So um, I, can, I can completely resonate with, <laughs> that resonates with me. I can completely relate. All right, let's change gears a little bit. Um, so in today's volatility and uncertainty, as we talked about, what's the best piece of advice you can give leaders right now to run their business besides all of the other expert advice you've already given us? So two things I want everybody to, to think about is, one is don't lose your ambition. Actually, this is the time to be ambitious. If you look back over history uh, of all the companies in the S&P 500 today, all of them really started their, their, their upswing during recessions, during troubled times. That was their pivot point. And, um, and the other thing is, it's a long run. So if you look at history, the average Goliath, it took 25 years before they saw their inflection point, whether it was Apple, Starbucks, any of those companies, you gotta look at year 25 and that's when they took off. So we're not in a one year sprint here and you are in a 25 year sprint. Many of you are gonna sell too early because you give up too easily. It's too easy to take the big payday today and you may be on the cusp of you know that 
that that shift up. So I would definitely stay ambitious and I would also realize that you're in a long race. Now, depending on what category you're in, you're gonna respond differently to this market. In all markets, you've gotta ask yourself, what are people buying now? So let's take my client that um, all of their revenue came from the aviation industry. We are not going to leave that market forever, but we can't wait around for it to come back. So we're gonna go after at least one or two other segments that we can take the skill sets and capabilities of those companies and build upon that to enter the new segments. And then when the airlines come back, they'll be doubly better, but they won't die waiting for the airlines to come back. So it really depends on where you're at, but, but keep your ambition, make sure you understand the market and what people, what is their need today given the circumstance of your core customer? And I would build around that. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, such good advice. All right, same question on uh, what advice you give to leaders on managing their teams in this volatility and uncertainty. So the, I'm going to start off with is no one wants to follow you down the highway to hell. And actually, there's a country song as when you're driving through hell, keep on driving. Right. Uh, and so so my thing is, you know, people want to follow people that are confident, uh, not arrogant, but confident. They want to follow people that they feel like can help take them to the promised land on the other side. Uh, they like bold ideas and bold ambition. I mean, if you just look at what goes around us, you know, those are the people that people follow and it's human nature. So as you're talking to people, don't ignore the brutal facts, but you've got to be able to communicate in a way that instills confidence in everybody. We got this. Hey, we may run into trouble. You know, there may be speed bumps along the way, but we got this and we're going to keep maneuvering and we're going to get you through the other side. And now more than ever, you have to provide clarity and vision and you got to communicate. Actually, all leaders, for the most part, did not communicate enough before. And I think they found that out. So I think you have to communicate far more than you ever imagined so that everybody can see the path. Everyone shares the path. Everyone's confident about the path. And, you know, and you're, you're raising up every, making sure everybody feels like they're on a winning team. Because here's another thing I learned from playing, you know, to coaching sports and playing sports. You know, when we think we're on a losing team or, and by the way, if you're playing in a, in a, in a lower level league, you usually play up to whatever talent that's around you. And you also play to the level that you think you should be at. So you've really got to think big and then you've got to chase everybody to big or you will play small. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Everybody wants to be on a winning team. There's no doubt about that. All right, so how can people find you? Well, you know, the best way to find us usually is going to our website at uh, activategroupinc.com. Uh, and the other way is you can just, you know, pick up the phone and, and call me. Um, 305-722-7213 is our number and you'll get through and we'll be happy to talk. And, you know, and most of the people that call us, we're, we're just there to help. And if we can influence and I can guarantee anybody that calls us, you will get at least one idea to improve your business, whether we work together or not. 
That's great. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we'll wrap up this show. Thank you so much for coming on as a guest, Howard. This has been an insightful interview. I've already learned so much from you, and I'm sure my our leaders will as well. I'm sorry, our listeners will as well. So thank you again for coming on. Well, thank you. Your, your energy is infectious. <laughs> Yours is too. You're so passionate about this, and I love it. It's going to, to come through on everybody's speakers. <laughs> awesome. All right. Hang tight, and I'll be right back. Hi, I'm back. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Howard. I know I had so many takeaways during that. I hope you did too. I spoke with Howard for about an hour after we ended the interview, and I'm still blown away at all of the information and insight and knowledge he shared so freely with me. He's such a generous person and inspiring and a phenomenal strategist. Okay, on to my question. So my question comes from a friend of mine today who asked me how I balance making an impact and saying no, meaning creating some boundaries. So she's a business owner and a mother, and Uh, volunteers a lot in the community and is feeling overwhelmed by all that she has on her plate. She asked me how I, how I do it, how I structure myself and my life and create some boundaries, but still stay focused on giving back. And so I told her the story of being pregnant with my son, Jack, and I had every minute of my day full. Not only was I growing a business, I was heavily involved with economic uh, economic development activities in my community. I sat on some boards, I was involved in industry boards, and I was also training for an ultra marathon. And I knew that I was going to have to stop. This was just way too much, uh, especially since being a phenomenal mother was my utmost priority. But of course I had no idea how to be a mother and I knew that it was going to be hard and that I would need some time to myself to really figure out how to handle the workload and a newborn and being a wife and taking care of myself all at the same time. So I decided that my two priorities were work and family, stone age and being a great mom, being a great wife. And I was going to say no to everything else. So I backed uh, off on my training, uh, no more ultra marathons. Let's just work out for normal amounts of time per day. And I stepped off of the boards I was on and I said no to anything that wasn't related to stoning during my family. And that worked really well. I actually had time to, I don't know, think and to cry and to figure out how to be a mom and to work on my business and to just have a little time to myself. And it was glorious, but it was hard. I also felt really guilty. I definitely love giving back. I love to help. I find a lot of, uh, I don't know, value and self-worth in giving back. And so to say no to to people who were asking for my input, asking for my help was really difficult for me to do. But what I found was that most people really admired and appreciated it. I was very transparent in my reasons. And more people, I heard people always say, I wish I would have said no more often. I wish I could say no more often. And I really got to see the value of having boundaries and focusing on your priorities. So fast forward eight years, I uh, say yes to a lot more now, but I'm still very careful about what I say yes to. It still needs to fall 
in alignment with my top priorities. And if it doesn't, then I say no. And that gives me time to be a great mom, to play with my son, to go on mountain bike rides with my husband, to work on, on my business instead of in my business, to think, to read, to ideate and strategize. And those are all really important things to me. So I believe that you can make an impact and you can give back and at the same time, create boundaries. You just have to make sure that, that the things that you want to make an impact on and that the uh, things you say yes to are in alignment with those priorities and you say no to everything else. So that was my advice to her. Hopefully that helps all of you out there who are feeling overwhelmed by all that's on your plate. Do not be afraid to create boundaries. You can still make an impact. In fact, maybe even a bigger impact and better impact. All right, with that, I'll leave you and I hope you have a great rest of your week. I look forward to hosting you on the next episode of Reflect Forward.